Welcome to the Conscious Business Podcast. I'm your host, Phoebe Lay, and I'm so excited that you're here today. On our podcast, we are going to be talking about the things that inspire you in business to help you create a conscious brand that will not only build credibility and give you more opportunities in your business to thrive, but also help you to create in a deliberate, conscious kind of way. This is a place where meaningful conversations will inspire you to create, pursue, and thrive and shine in business. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Conscious Business Podcast. I am very, very excited and delighted to have a special guest, an incredible guest on the show this morning. This is a lady who I met right at the very beginning of my journey, Sarah Morse. Sarah Morse is, honestly, she's inspiring. She's amazing. We have so much to talk about today. We have also so much in common as well, which I am discovering more, even just from the chats that we've been having in lead up to me having her on the show. Sarah, welcome. It is so great to have you on, Sarah. And I'm so delighted that we finally found the opportunity to have you on the show. Sarah, you are not only a former New South Wales Young Australian of the Year, but you have over 20 years of experience as a nurse and a humanitarian to bring a uniquely global and deeply human perspective to the way humans think, work, and behave. Sarah specializes in cancer services and palliative care and also has worked with some of the world's poorest people. And she's known for her deep commitment to nursing the human spirit. Through her personal experience of burnout, Sarah believes that empowering people to thrive in the workplace is pivotal to a healthy workplace. And also most recently, Sarah worked as a health advisor in a safe house in Spain for survivors of human trafficking. So in her current role as Director of Unchained Solutions, Sarah inspires Australians to be leaders in making an impact on modern day slavery. Gosh, so much to talk about, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Phoebe. So great to be here with you today. So, so great to have you. And thank you so much for your time today and this morning. Sarah, I want to start with like, how are you? Like, how have the last four years been? I mean, it has been Four years since we were in the room together, sitting next to each other at the Speakers Institute, doing our three-day speaking boot camp together. And I remember back then, it was at the start of, it was like pretty much nearly at the start of my business journey. Like I think I was one year in and it was the start of yours as well. And you have now evolved and you were working in, but first of all, tell us what you were doing back then and how you've kind of transitioned into the brand that you've created today? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. A lot can happen in four years, right? I remember it was the, that first day at Speakers Institute and the, the task was getting to know your task, turn to the person next to you and find out some things about them and what you want to talk about and then you had to introduce them to the group, right? And so in that moment, I was just at the very, very beginning of my journey as well into professional speaking into uh, the business that we're running at the moment. And I had this moment of hesitation of like, oh, should I say anything about modern slavery? Because that can get awkward if the other person doesn't know what it is. And anyway, I just took a leap and I was like, oh, I'm speaking of modern slavery. And you were like, oh my gosh, that's something that's really close to my heart as well. That's amazing. And so that's really where that first connection started. So I think back then, four years ago, I had a, 
uh, eight month old. And I remember that because uh, I was still breastfeeding. And then that was the first day that she, I got home and was going to feed her. And she just like totally rejected me. She was like, you haven't been here all day. That's enough. I'm done with this. And that was the last time that she actually breastfed. So I remember it very, very clearly. And she's almost five now. So, you know, I can kind of track our business growth pretty much alongside her birthdays. Because, yeah, she was born right in the middle. So the year before 2017, I did a year-long mentoring program in entrepreneurship. And that was really the first time that I started to think about running a business. And I had this like, like tiny little seed of an idea with my husband, Stephen, of like, what if we could run a business that was something to do with modern slavery? At that time, 2018, that's just when the Modern Slavery Act came in in Australia And so at that time, when I talked to you at the Speakers Institute, nobody else had heard of modern slavery, right? So people were were saying like, what's that? What are you going to talk about? And so I think our tiny little entrepreneurial idea came sort of before the culture. And over the last four years, businesses have had an increasing awareness of modern slavery and the Modern Slavery Act in Australia. So yeah, it's kind of like it's been this massive growth journey from just that tiny little speck of an idea when I first met you at the Speakers Institute, that was 2018, until now, where we have a thriving business, really helping Australian businesses engage with the Modern Slavery Act. Yeah, that was so incredible because I remember sitting next to you. I was so amazed that it's funny how out of a room of, I don't even know how many people were in the room, but I I think it was at least 40 or, or 30 or something like that. And out of all the people in the room, I was sitting next to the person who was also talking about modern day slavery. And it's just so incredible how like, like attracts like, and we somehow we all just find each other, right? And it's been such a journey since because back then it was my first year of business. So I started my business in 2017. And before that, I had Matcha Sisters. And our journeys are quite similar in that we both came from a health background, healthcare background. I was a radiographer, you were a nurse, so you would know, you know, what it's like coming from working where there's structure, systems, and like you're kind of part of a process, right? And then you're creating a business that is something that's very heart-centered. And obviously, this is a cause that is important to you. And I'm just so excited. I'm still even just hearing you speak, so excited to have you on this show and just can't believe that we've come together. But I would love to know, like, what got you into that work of modern day slavery? Because it is not something that is very common. It's not something that you come across every day where there's someone that has the heart for this cause. And it's also something that's not frequently talked about. So what got you into this work? And why is it important for us as business owners to be aware of what's going on, especially the Modern Day Slavery Act, which was kind of introduced around the time when we met? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I guess I kind of fell into the work of modern slavery. I don't know it's necessarily something that people choose. It takes that exposure and that really understanding of what modern slavery is. It's a dark world. It's a dark topic out there. And so, yeah, I guess I had a 20-year history of humanitarian work. So my very first trip overseas, actually, when I was 16, my parents put me on a plane to East Germany when I was 16 for like a cross-cultural experience by myself. Like, And now I have 16-year-old nieces 
who struggle to catch a bus by themselves. <laughs> and I said to God, I'm like, what were you thinking? She's like, yeah, I have no idea. So that was my first overseas travel experience was to brand new East Germany, like five years after the wall came down. And I had no idea about any kind of oppression or anything like that. So that was very formative. And then over the next 20 years, I've had a lot of exposure to humanitarian projects. Where I first came across modern slavery in the form of human trafficking was actually when I worked in an orphanage in Romania. And at the time, I didn't have the words or the language or the knowledge really to talk about it in terms of modern slavery. But I was working in a state-run orphanage in Romania and girls used to go missing from that orphanage all the time. And I remember one particularly, so we worked with younger children with disabilities, but in another part of the orphanage, there were teenage girls who we also ran programs with as well. And I remember this one day really clearly where, you know, all these teenage girls came running up to us and they said, Tatiana, Tatiana, they took her last night. They took her. They said they're taking her to her mother. But basically the story was some men came in the middle of the night, supposedly taking this girl to another orphanage to be closer to her mother. But like, why would you do that in the middle of the night? And they took her and she left. And we made some inquiries. The director said, oh, yeah, that's just what what happens. We didn't even know her last name. We didn't have any paperwork for her. So we couldn't track her. But now I look back on that and now I know the stories of Romanian orphans getting trafficked out of state-run orphanages. I'm pretty sure that Tatiana was trafficked right from under our noses. Wow. So now that I look back on those experiences with the hindsight of 20 years and what I know now about human trafficking and modern slavery, in Europe, it's the Romanian girls that are the number one sort of nationality represented on the streets of Europe. And so that was really my first exposure. But I was young then. I was like 23. I didn't really... I was pretty naive. I didn't really understand what was happening around us. So, yeah, so that kind of grew one of the short-term experiences that I had. A number of years later, I led a team to work with refugees in Athens. And as part of that, we went out on the streets and working with women who were trafficked on the streets. Also met a Romanian girl there and they were like, oh, we've got this new girl. She doesn't speak any English. Does anyone on the team speak Romanian? And I was like, yeah, I am actually fluent in Romanian. And they were like, that's really random. How is this like Australian girl fluent in Romanian, you know? And so I was able to chat to this new girl and give her some of the resources that we had. So yeah, then and then I got married and I sort of thought that was the end of that that journey. But sort of in our first year of, of marriage, my husband and I set out to go on an adventure. And as we thought about what really it was that we wanted to engage with, we both landed on human trafficking and modern slavery in a quite remarkable way, which is another whole long story. But yeah, so we went to Spain to first of all investigate what the landscape was in human trafficking and then what we could do about it. So yeah, that's how I ended up working in the safe house in Spain for trafficked women. Yeah. So then when we came back to Australia, we thought while we were there in Spain, my husband actually wrote his doctorate in human trafficking and in the male response. So so often men are seen as perpetrators of human trafficking, but he really wanted to look at what can he as a man do, what can businessmen do to actually impact human trafficking and modern slavery. So we came back to Australia with this sort of broad experience, experience and a PhD in human trafficking, and then sort of thought, what are we going to do with this experience and this research? And so that's where we came up with the idea of Unchained. And it was just perfect time where the Modern Slavery Act had just been passed as well at that time when we came back. So 
it was the timing of it as well, that brand new law that nobody knew anything about. Here we were with all this research and experience and they both came together at the same time. Wow, that's amazing and so incredible that you and your husband had the same heart for the same cause as well. What a huge, I guess, what a huge mission to embark on because it is something that is like the magnitude of it is just so massive that we can't even fathom how big the issue is. And modern day slavery is almost one of those things where it's it's overwhelming to think about, let alone talk about, let alone try to explain to someone that every 30 seconds it's happening all across the world. And it's not something it involves every single country as well, including Australia. And I think that it's something that is so significant, yet so understated, so unspoken, and almost comes to me as a surprise when I do tell people about it still. And it's something that is such a shock. I did a post about this on LinkedIn recently. And surprisingly, like my posts on LinkedIn usually reach thousands of people, but this post in particular was like in the hundreds of thousands. Like, And it was so incredible because I, I love the way the algorithm works and how on LinkedIn, something that is that might not get seen at all on Facebook or Instagram just blows off on LinkedIn. And it was really interesting. The responses that people had, like most of it was surprise, shock, just like, what the heck kind of thing. And it's, are you still experiencing that today, Sarah? Is that like the kind of, what kind of responses are you getting from like business owners and just people in general when you talk about this? Yeah, that's a really great question. We actually, we were talking about this with our team the other day because we live and breathe this every day. And so while the value and culture of our team is positivity and care and concern for each other, we tend to keep our team meetings light and and fun because it is such a dark issue. But we spent some time the other day in our annual team conference just really thinking through the gravity of this issue. We're throwing these phrases around all the time. Oh, modern slavery, yeah, you know, 40 million people, yeah, 150 million people in exploitation. And it can become, we need to be careful within our team that it doesn't become just kind of everyday language. Because as you say, there are lots of people who have never heard of modern slavery and people are shocked and horrified. Some people are very blasé also. So it's always interesting, like if I go to a live networking event, which is why I hesitated the day that I met you to say that I was working on slavery. Because so we found when we're in, in a live event, there's kind of, there'll be people that will respond really inappropriately. So they're like, oh, slavery. Yeah. I'm, I'm chained to my desk every day. <laughs> or other people are like, oh, I need some slaves to come and help me run my business or like really, really inappropriate things. And So that education piece is really, we've had people walk away from us because they just don't know what to say or how to respond. People that get quite aggressive as well, quite defensive and like, well, I've got my product. Like we go to these entrepreneurial kind of networking things. Well, I've got my product that I'm importing from China. So I don't want you to tell me that it could be made by slaves because that's going to affect my business. So yeah, so it's a, a huge range of attitudes and feedback that we get from people. But I guess always what we're aiming to do is just move people along their journey from not knowing or not caring about the issue. And we we understand that it is a journey that takes time and momentum to get their heads around. So, And we've seen people do that. We've seen companies do that. We've seen companies come to us looking just for like a tick box on compliance kind of thing. And then when we do a risk assessment on their business and we come back and we say, hey, you actually have high risk of slavery 
in these certain areas, like they're shocked. They expect us to come back and say, oh, yeah, you're all good, tick, tick, we can tick that off for you. And some businesses will push back and say, well, can you make it so that we don't have slaves? And it's like, no, if you want that, you've got to go to someone else because that's not what we do. We're always about the people who are enslaved and very important language there, not to just think about them as, oh, the slaves, but that they are people. And so that's what we're always remembering. I remember those girls in the orphanage. I remember the ladies in the safe house that I worked with. They are people. They're real people with real names. And so that's what we're always trying to come back to is what is the impact on that individual person as we're educating people and companies around modern slavery. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's such a, it would be such a difficult task for you because I know that on one hand, you want to help these businesses comply and obviously businesses also want to keep their costs down, but there are consequences. And can you tell us a little bit about that and what happens when a business doesn't comply with the Modern Day Slavery Act? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of the law, sadly, the law itself isn't structured with consequences. So that's sort of one thing that we're finding is so at the moment, the Commonwealth law states that companies who earn over $100 million have to comply with the Modern Slavery Act, but there's no penalty for non-compliance. So on that top level, people can kind of think, oh, well, we'll just get some risk assessment done. We'll chuck it in, whatever. The New South Wales law has just been modified, so that's just been released. So that's for companies who have $50 million or more revenue in New South Wales. So looking at smaller companies, so that's just only just happened in the last couple of months. So that's new as well. So in terms of non-compliance from a business perspective, we're trying to educate people that it's not just about compliance. So one of the things we talk about is leading beyond compliance. So, okay, you've ticked your boxes, you've done your report, that's great. But what can you actually do to lead beyond compliance? Because we know that the consequences of non-compliance on this end means that people are still enslaved on the other end, right? So we're always keeping that in mind. And we're very lucky on our team to have a wonderful girl called Katie. I don't know if you know Outland Denim, the brand Outland Denim. So she actually was operations manager in their factory in Cambodia. And she was part of the early days of them experimenting, trying to find different things that work to help different women and things like that. So we have a really amazing grassroots perspective as well on how the small changes that the companies make on this end, they actually do trickle down onto those factory floors. And really interesting when you get her talking, maybe I should get her to give you a chat as well because you'd love her. She's awesome. Yeah, so understanding like the little changes do actually make a big difference. And similarly, it's about education within companies. So we've heard stories about the sustainability team will make all these recommendations and they'll say to, for example, the factory, okay, you've got to do all these things, boom, boom, boom. And so the factory does all those things. Then from the same company, the procurement team goes back to that factory and tries to drive the price down again, right? And the factory owners are like, but hang on, we've just done all these things that you said. Now you need to keep your end of the bargain. So it's, and it could be that those, they're so siloed that they're not even talking to each other within their own company. Wow. There's a a really big education piece there around, yeah, while non-compliance doesn't have a huge effect in terms of the law. Non-compliance means that people are still in slavery in parts of the world, including Australia. So we need to, again, always keep the focus on the people who are enslaved, not necessarily the box ticking on this end. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is so, so important. And you touch on, obviously, I love what you say about leading beyond compliance, because I, I really believe that as a business owner, we've got to think about like, 
what kind of impact are we having on, in this world and how is my business making this world a better place? Like, is the world a better place by my business being around, by me having and operating and running this business, which is such a privilege for everyone to have that opportunity and that option. I'd love to know, like, just a slight pivot here. Sarah, we talked about how it's been like four years now since we've met and you've done a bit of a pivot as well in your business. Tell us a little bit about that. Like, What is it that you're currently speaking about on stages and tell us also about your TED Talk as well? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. So it's a TED Talk idea. I don't have a TED Talk booked yet. (laughs) That's the goal for this year. Yeah, so I have done a bit of a journey with that. I think when I first met you, I was really trying to work out how to talk about modern slavery in a way that businesses could understand. And that's still what I do as under my hat as director of Unchained Solutions. That's what I do. And I'm passionate about that. So if people want to book me to come and talk to their company about modern slavery, I can. But what I realized was that I actually have also a much broader message. And that message is sort of, it's, I'm really looking at tying in basically my whole life experience from nursing to humanitarian work to modern slavery to running a business to bringing that all into a much wider stage because I realized that a lot of stages just, they're just not ready to hear about modern slavery yet. And so what I'm trying to do is to just open people's minds, inspire them to perhaps think differently about the world. In all of my years of nursing and of traveling and humanitarian work, I've just met some incredible people. And I have this whole story bank of stories of just generosity and kindness and empathy and in the places where you least expect it, right? So in the, in the like I visited this garbage dump in Quito in Ecuador, you know, there were people actually living on the garbage dump. And to meet mothers there nursing their babies, trying to just make do. Remember there was this one mother and she sort of picked out this broken doll out of the rubbish heap and gave it to her little girl. And the little girl sort of was cradling it and thought it was the best thing in the world. And it was just like this grimy kind of armless one-eyed doll. But that little girl, it was like the best thing that she could ever have kind of thing. And seeing that those mums, now my, I wasn't a mum at the time, but now I think about them with my own children of that same age of that little girl. And I think they were just mums trying to do the best for their kids in the best way that they could. They love their kids. They passionately protected their children, but it's just that they would happen to have been born on this rubbish dump. And so seeing the humanity in people, seeing people's generosity in in places where people are so, so poor and they would invite us into their homes and give us a meal. They'd kill one of their chickens to feed us for the day. Things like that where being the recipient of just some really radical kindness and generosity from places where we thought we were going to help, but in the end, these people were just gave us back so much. And so really what I want to do is bring that to a corporate stage. So I've sort of combined all of that into a keynote, which I'm calling CPR for your workplace. And it's kind of looking at, so in nursing, we have this model, which is called between the flags. So after the idea of the red and yellow flags on the beach here on the East Coast, and the idea that when you're in the, in between the flags, you're safe. And when you're outside the flags, that's when you're going to start getting into danger. And so looking at, and that's in nursing, we talk about a deteriorating patient. So what if somebody's vital signs and their observations are between the flags, then they're fine. If they're deteriorating, their observations are outside the flags. So kind of bringing that into a corporate context and and talking to 
corporates about, you know, their deteriorating teams. I mean, we know the problems are similar everywhere in terms of loneliness, people not feeling connected to their team anymore, people working from home day in, day out, just doing the same thing, logging onto the computer, lack of motivation, lack of productivity. It's the same story across businesses. So they would be the signs of a deteriorating workplace, a deteriorating team. But they're coming in and saying, so how can we revive that? How can we do CPR for your team? So the corporate people reviver. And how can we actually come in? And I think I think that, that how we do that is through kindness, through kindness, generosity, all these things that I've met, people around the world that have shown me those things. That's how we bring. So I think that there's three antidotes and that's kindness, gratitude and generosity and bringing those back into our teams. So for individuals, how can we be kind to ourselves? How can we be kind to our teammates? But for people in management, what does kindness look like? And I've got sort of a acronym that I work through there with kindness. What does kindness look like in your workplace? Because I think so much, so many of those problems can be fixed just if we just see each other as human. So the same as we see people in slavery as human, the same as I see my patients as human, we need to see our colleagues as human as well, that they're all people with families and lives and you know they're all just people doing jobs. And I think if we, we've got to just bring the humanity back to the workplace because when we start seeing people as numbers, that's where we see what's happening now in the health system of nurses just getting treated like numbers and nurses are just burning out all over the place. So it was a strike yesterday and thousands of nurses turned out across the country to strike for fair pay and fair ratios because I think the people in power have lost sight of the fact that nurses are humans and they just can't do it anymore. Yeah, I read a, an anecdote the other day saying 90 to 100% of nurses are considering quitting. Mm. That's like, I mean, it was 50% before COVID and now it's 90 to 100%. Like everyone is just done. And that's because we've stopped seeing them as people. Mm, absolutely. So it's really tying in all of those themes really from the last 20 years of my life into one keynote, which is reviving your workforce through kindness is basically it. Yeah. Wow. That's so true. Like my team have been writing uh, blogs for a particular client about how at the moment there are like burnout culture in the workplace is happening all over the globe like it's more than 50% I think it's something like 57% where there's just high pressure environments lack of support from management unrealistic expectations and obviously people are now working from home there's not even that human interaction face-to-face interaction anymore so there's a lot of stress pressure and the problem is that there's people are exhausted and that I think the biggest red flag at the moment is that people they're not feeling connected and they're not showing their full potential. So their quality of work is going down. So that's a huge topic as well, Sarah. And I love that you've brought your experience, like your over 20 years of experience in the medical background into now what you're doing with speaking to businesses and companies and management and obviously teams. So that's a really important thing that people need to be aware of, obviously. How are you finding the transition and also like bringing the two messages together? Yeah, so I'm just launching it now. So watch this space. But yeah, I think a couple of years ago, I would have felt really uncomfortable not talking about modern slavery. And I've done a really big journey in that sort of realizing that, 
yeah, there is a broader message because obviously if we're kind, it filters down. Like if we're kind to our teams and they're kind to each other, then that also filters down into sustainability and people having brain space and empathy to actually think about other parts of their business and the employees in their supply chain who may also be suffering. So I think you rightly point out about exhaustion and burnout and I've experienced burnout myself in nursing and and I think it's the same for everybody in every profession. I think the first thing to go in burnout is empathy. I think that when people are so burnt out and they go into that survival mode, and I saw it in myself, and that's actually when I stopped clinical nursing a couple of years ago because I recognised that in myself, that I couldn't deliver that care that I wanted to give to those patients. And I remember this one day because I'm known for my care, right? I'm known for like palliative care, like deep, really good patient-centred care. And I remember the ward clerk came chasing after me one morning, like seven o'clock, haven't had my coffee yet. And she's like, Sarah, Sarah, I think, you know, that person in bed 28 needs blah, 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 blah. And I just turned to her, I'm like, Kimmy, care factor zero today. And she was like, whoa, geez, if your care factor is zero, like where's everybody else? And actually her response was one of the things that made me think I've got to get out. I I have to get out of this because I, I can't give any empathy now because I'm so tired and I'm so burnt out in myself that I have nothing left to give. And so I think it, I think the message does actually filter down when we are kind, when we are building back our teams, when we're breathing life, you know, when you think about CPR, like the two main reasons we do CPR is to get someone's heart beating again and to get them breathing again. So it's the same thing with our teams. It's like, do they have a pulse? Are they breathing? You know, how can we breathe life back into our teams so that they're not living on that survival mode, that edge of burnout, that just getting through the day because that they lose empathy for themselves, for each other and for people outside like like the people who are in slavery in their supply chains. So I think it is all connected and I, I'm looking forward to seeing how companies can really grab hold of that, you know, and then obviously I can just refer them on to Unchained Solutions if they do need that help with their supply chain. So I do definitely see that connection and I'm really excited this year to see how that's going to unfold. Yeah, so and I'm just working on my book, which is actually surprising. It's, it's my memoir from Romania from 20 years ago and I've never published it. And Wow. You know, I have a mentor, a beautiful lady that I'm working with called Jacqueline, and and she's like, this is the time. This is the time for your memoir because it's, it's all about that. It's about kindness. It's about finding myself in the suffering. It's about identifying with the poor and it's about empathy and my own journey in discovering that when faced with horrific suffering of the children. And so, and she's like, yeah, it's time. This is the time for publishing that. And Yeah, so I I do see that they're all connected from all these parts of my journey to bring that story to the stage. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what we're touching on right now is also to make sure that we aren't working from an empty tank and to obviously, as you mentioned, see the vital signs, see when your colleagues or your staff or even your virtual staff see when there are signs that are showing that there's either lack of connection with the work that they're doing or there's some lack of connection between each other, even if it's virtually, and how can we bring people together so that there's more connection and we're filling up our spirits and we're connecting with our work and connecting from heart. And I think we talked about that even just before the show about connecting with heart and how different it is when a message comes through when you've done it from heart compared to when you're just doing it for the sake of doing it. And I love that you share that moment because it's 
in that moment where everything obviously shifted for you and you realized you needed to step out and do something else, but you've also now discovered, I guess, your purpose, which is such a big mission, like I mentioned before, and it's such a empowering mission. Sarah, for those that are similar to yourself, they have a cause that is really connected with them, with their hearts, or there's something that is really important to them, but it's a really big issue. Maybe it's not modern day slavery, but it's something else. How can those people, I guess, work their way towards making a difference when it feels like what we do is so little compared to the issue at hand? Yeah, that's such a great question. And like what I always say is I don't need for everyone to care about modern slavery. Obviously, we want companies to comply with Modern Slavery Act. That's what we do. But I think if everybody did one thing, if everybody just did one thing, if I do modern slavery and someone else does dolphins and someone else does climate change and someone else does trees and somebody else, like if we find our, our one thing, you know, we can't all care about all the things. Like I get things across my social feed all the time And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I would care about that. I just can't. Like my tank is full with modern slavery. I can't. I have to be focused on this issue if I'm going to make any kind of impact. But I think people really want to have that thing that they feel so deeply connected with. So first of all, I would say find your thing. What is it that you're concerned about in the world? What is it that if you feel like you could make a difference, what would you do? And then just find ways of doing it. And I know it's not very trendy at the moment to give money to charities, but these people, like my early humanitarian stuff was with World Vision and I know people get critical about that they take 18, 15% or whatever for admin costs. But the reason they have admin costs is so they can pay staff to do stuff well so that the money gets to those places. So like if nothing else, have a sponsor child. Like I once read a stat that if every person in sort of Western culture had a sponsor child, like that we could end world poverty. And so that's always been a value of ours in our family. We always have at least one sponsor child, even if we feel like we can't afford it. Even if we feel like there's been times when we were living in Spain, we were literally living like with 10 euros in the drawer and that's all we had. Couldn't afford to buy nappies for my baby. Like I never say that I'm poor because I think poverty comes with lack of education, lack of opportunities. But there were times when we were pretty broke and but we still always had a sponsor child like because that was so even that it seems like old fashioned almost to have a sponsor child. But I think that statistic really spoke to me that if we all had one sponsor child each that we could actually end global poverty. And there's crazy stats around like if every person in America gave one percent of their income, same thing, we could end global poverty. Like, so I think just do something. That's what I think. Because like I was saying before, it takes actually only small actions on our end that can actually have a big impact. I've worked with micro enterprise projects in Indonesia where the women in the community started with $50. They started with a $50 loan that then they work together to create their own businesses and support each other. And then they pay that loan back, they get $100. And we saw people actually like get their way out of poverty. Like we we met this bunch of refugees. They were living in a, they were internally displaced people in Indonesia and they were living in like a school gymnasium and they had like a three by three square per family that they had roped off with ropes and blankets and they all had their own little business. And then we couldn't work out, like how are they going to, like they're living in a gymnasium, like how is this going to work? We went back the next year and they bought together, they bought a plot of land and then we went back the next year and they built some houses and we went back the next year and they were all living in their houses with a school and a church and functioning toilets and 
access to education and sanitation. And that was a process of like four years from being like refugees living in a school gym to like having their own village. And that started with $50 loans. Like, so I think we can get overwhelmed. We start rattling off the numbers about modern slavery. It can get overwhelming. But what, and we say this to businesses as well, just start, just start doing something. Look at what's in your circle of influence. So, for example, like complying with the Modern Slavery Act is one thing. It mostly has to do with supply chains. But, for example, like if you're a university, you've got thousands of students on your campus that you could educate about modern slavery. So do that at very little cost to you. You just chuck it in part of the curriculum. But that's a whole generation then that educated about modern slavery. So just to to look at what's in your hand to do, what's in your circle of influence, and then just do something. And I think if we all do something, not necessarily, it doesn't have to be modern slavery, but if we do the thing that we're passionate about, I really think that together we can actually combine our efforts to leave a legacy for our children and for the children of those people who are enslaved as well. Wow. Thank you so much for what you've just shared. Like that right there, what you just shared in the last five minutes is Honestly, I think that's the message that needs to get out there. And I'm so excited to share this on social media, especially this part of the clip, because I really think that you have hit the nail on the head because it's not about doing everything and coming across every little cause and necessarily being like, we need to be empathetic, but we also, at the same time, we need to know how to make the small differences without every little thing having an effect on us. Like we've got to, like we're talking about, keep our tanks full. But at the same time, I think what you've just said before about the fact that we need to focus on one issue and just really focus on that. So if there's one cause that is really meaningful to you, whether it's modern day slavery or whether it's, there's a lot of causes out there, but whatever it is, if we just focus on the one and we use our platform or our voices to share that message then things can be done and then like attracts like just in the same way that you and I met and that's how people will find other people as well who are also passionate about the same causes and you know you can run events you can run even if it's just like a birthday fundraiser they make such a big difference and I think if every person you know actually showed up and was daring to really come out and talk, even if it's not something that they do, even if social media is scary or it's something that you'd rather just be sharing, you know, about happy things and birthdays and events and engagements. But to just use it as a platform to really get your message out there and to find out what it is that really strikes you the most that you really feel connected with. I think that we can make a huge difference in that way if everyone did that one little thing. It's the small differences that make a difference. So yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So for anyone who's listening to this, I would just say, just start, start somewhere, start small and believe that our collective voice together, we can actually make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Sarah, thank you so much for what you've been sharing with us and for all the work that you do. I mean, like, has so massive, such a huge mission that you've got. 
I would love to end the show by us going through the rapid fire questions because I would love our listeners to also get to know you a little bit better as well, Sarah, behind all the work that you do and all the incredible things that you're achieving. And also, I'm really excited about your book as well. So I would love to ask you a few questions for our listeners today. If we can, you know, head to our rapid fire questions and yeah, are you ready? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So Sarah, if there was one thing that you cannot live a day without, whether it's physical or non-physical, what would it be? Um, my husband. Yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. And my kids, obviously. But yeah, my husband, he just, the way that he lives his life with such integrity, he runs our household, he does all the housework. <laughs> really, I get stuck without him. <laughs> oh, beautiful. And who inspires you the most or who inspired you to do what you do today? Yeah, I remember as a teenager, I, I saw Catherine Hamlin speak. She ran a fistula hospital for women in Ethiopia. And yeah, that was one of the pivotal moments for me when I thought I really want my life to mean something. Mm. So yeah, she's passed on now, but she's left an amazing legacy. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. In five years time, where do you see yourself and your business going? Obviously, there's there's a lot that could happen. And as we've spoken about, a lot can happen in four years. But where do you see yourself in five years from now? Yeah, I mean, I love dreaming. I look at where we've come in four years and it really is incredible. So five years time, I want to be on global stages. I want to be spreading this message of corporate kindness. But yeah, I want to see Australian companies engaging with the Modern Slavery Act. We have huge dreams that Unchained about creating shared value partnerships and actually taking companies, uh, groups, teams from companies over to visit people in where their stuff is being made and actually creating partnerships in those villages, you know, interactive workshops where people can come in, not interactive, like full immersive workshops where people can come in to really get an understanding about modern slavery. We've got huge dreams and visions at Unchained and I'd love for those to be in the next five years. That would be amazing. Yeah, beautiful. And last question, if you could leave the world with one message, what would it be? I mean, obviously, end slavery. I do think it's in our capacity that we can end modern slavery in our lifetime, but also just be kind. Mm. Be kind because you never know. You never know the person that's standing next to you in the supermarket. You just never know what they're going through that day you know? And so I just would always say, just be kind, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, be kind to the planet, be kind to people in slavery. I think that's, yeah, that's, it's as simple as that is that we just need to get back to being kind. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sarah, thank you so much for your time this morning. I hope you have a wonderful lunch with your mom and I know you've got to jump off. So thank you so much for what you've just shared. And for anyone that wants to connect with Sarah, if you're listening on the podcast, we're obviously going to have her social media handles on the show notes. And we're also going to tag her if you're seeing this on Facebook or on YouTube. But Sarah, thank you so much again for all that you do, for all the incredible work that you do from heart. And I hope you have a wonderful day. And I look forward to having you back on this platform really soon and hearing more about your book, your memoir, and also your TED Talk. And when that gets released, I'm really excited to tune in as well. Yeah, I haven't been invited yet for a TED Talk, so I'm still <laughs> I'm still working on that one. <laughs> it will, it will cool, thanks so much. We really, really appreciate it, and yeah, love being on your show. And hi to all your followers as well, because I know that you have a massive following of people who do want to make a difference. And I think that that's a beautiful thing that you're doing in your sphere of influence. So yeah, I really love being on the show. So thanks so much, and I'll look forward to catching up with you again. Thanks, Sarah. All right, you take care. You too.